everyone and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking coffee and or occasionally cocktails and talking about anything and everything. We may use explicit language and will almost certainly drop F-bombs, but this is not the point or the drive of the content, so consider us PG-13. There will be rants, there will be raves, there will be occasional readings, there will be conflicting creative advice driven by at least three utterly disparate points of view. Your hosts through this adventure are Chaz Brenchley, John Schmidt, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode three, Reading in Public. Dum, dum, dum. Let's kick this off. Everybody has a drink here. Everyone's good? Drink. 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 We have today a special guest. We have invited Raymond Miller, an excellent writer and perennial member of Coffee Club at the Bean Scene, to come in and read for us a bit. And I have John is going to read some of his poetry, or at least poetry that he likes. He didn't tell me in advance, so we will all be charmed and surprised. But I wanted to start and say, how do you prepare in general for reading? And the person I know who's done most of this would be you, Chaz. <laughs> yeah, um, and as usual, I am the heretic in the group because I'm sitting here thinking, prepare? What is prepare? Um, it may be the the night before I would look at what I was proposing to read and read it through, but not aloud. I have never done that sort of practice reading or the timing or the little notes to show where your voice should go up or down or whatever. No, I just, I just don't. But then, you see, I mean, I'm coming from an unusual place. I enjoy reading aloud. It's, it's a thing I'm very comfortable with. And as you say, I've done a lot of it my own work and and other people's so yeah i just yeah you know, i mean it's like it's like it's like the writing i i i'm instinctive i just sit down and do it well you sound good when you do it i don't know if for people that haven't been down to an sf in sf which is science fiction in san francisco uh rena runs a group down there that has uh, multiple authors in it does i mean it's it's a lovely monthly reading series it was co-founded by my wife karen brenchley back in the day um, and she handed the organisation over to Rena, I think, with a great deal of relief at that point because it was so popular. But yeah, no, it's it's I'm, I love it that every month people will get together to hear serious, well-known science fiction writers read, and they will come to do that. Guy Gabriel K was Guy Gabriel just there. Was here. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson is, has is been a regular. There. He's a regular. Yeah. Every, every year, him and Cecilia Holland do a Christmas time reading. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been down to SF and SF, John? I have not. I have heard Chaz read, however, multiple times. I especially liked when he did Litquake, another San Francisco ah. tradition. Ah. And, of course, he's read locally down closer to the coffee house. Now, John, you organized kind of this. My first uh, run into the reading preparation out loud was uh, down at the bean scene. He grabbed the local Sunnyvale uh, library people in and grabbed from Lee's Discount Bookstore right there on Murphy Street Inn and got us a microphone, and we all sat down and read a little something. That was uh, that was the first time I heard you read there, Raymond. Yes, yeah, it was my, uh, it'd been the first time I'd read in a long time, so I was a bit nervous, but it seemed to go off quite well. Oh, come on, it was a delight to it know was. that. <laughs> it was. Actually, it was. Yeah, it was good. It, it was when, good. when a writer 
speaks the words they've written, or even someone else's, but especially the words they've written, there's a layer of meaning and interpretation that you get that you can't get from the page. And it's, it, if you like spoken word, it's wonderful. And we're having, we are fortunate to be in a renaissance of spoken word, not in people declaiming in bars and coffee houses, although here we are, as much as podcasting and live streaming allows a lot of, and you see it especially coming out of the role-playing world, which is developing cold reading actors who can read things easily. And I am hoping, actually, that you, Jeannie, because of your predilections and your willingness to put our meanderings up on the, the oral world of podcasting, are going to spark a renaissance locally. I hope so, because I, I, there's a lot of people that write interesting things, and I know many people with really interesting voices, um, like John, I was going to say, can we can we convince you, show us what you mean? I, I fell in love with John's reading things and his extemporaneous poetry, and frankly, I used to bribe him to when I had girlfriends that uh, had birthdays coming up, I would say, hey, John, here's a number. Wait till she doesn't pick up and leave a poem on her answering machine. <laughs> and then say, compliments of Jeannie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Will you do something like that for us today? Sure. Who do you want spoken to? Oh, this one's going to be for Ellie, my friend beyond the Redwood Curtain. Your friend beyond the Redwood Curtain. Of one thing, sure, we can be certain. You have a friend beyond the Redwood Curtain. Because Jeannie... You are fond and fair of having friends quite everywhere. You organize them into groups, and then you get them in difficult soups with beer and wine and often rum. And sometimes, well, it rhymes with gum and starts with a C, but I don't think I should say it, you see. And when we speak of Ellie Fine, I can remember well some glasses of wine, some waltzes in a restaurant, some sparkling romance, almost instant. But... In truth, better than that is knowing that Ellie is our friend, Old Hat. And I would like to encourage her to give us all a little word, send us perhaps one of her lovely poems, or if she has it, a weighty tome, and we will read it on this cast. And Ellie will be immortalized at last. Yay! An impromptu poem for Jeannie Warner by John Schmidt. Can I speak to my three pet peeves about reading aloud as a writer? Yes. Yes. I'm going to say them really quickly. First of all, every writer apologizes because they're not trained actors. Let that go. You're setting up your listener not to succeed. You're you're letting the scarecrow of doubt into the cornfield of bounty. Sorry. No, I think you're on a roll. Why did you get that? I just made it up. That's beautiful. <laughs> if you don't show them the scarecrow, they might see the crows, but they'll never, they'll never get the the waves of wheat will get there. And we all do it, and it's a constant thing. But just present your work. The second thing is, you can do voices if you want to do voices. But as a writer, you're presenting your work. You don't have to do voices. And it's a pet peeve of mine. Although when people do do voices, I find it utterly delightful. And of course, with many of the Audible books, the, the narrator is half the joy. Hmm. And my third pet peeve is, frankly, um, podcast software itself. And I realize this doesn't relate to writing. He doesn't mean you, precious baby. No, no, no. no. <laughs> As it shifts. But I've spoken enough. I want to hear Ray speaking. All right. Um, thank you for the segue. But we have to roll back for a second. Number one, don't apologize for your work. 
two was the doing the voices or not doing the voices. So are voices good or bad or? Um, there is a perception among some that you have to do voices. Uh, you can do voices or not do voices. It's good either way. Okay. So I could see that. I, I, I'm sitting here listening to the uh, Drew Hayes's NPCs, and I'm on book two now, and so and and there's a little bit of an accent that he does for the different ones, and I kind of enjoy it, but it's not necessary. Much yeah. like Will Wheaton narrated Ready Player One. Oh and, yeah, and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he don't really do voices. Sorry, Will, you don't. I mean, <laughs> it's just it is what it is. It is what it is. And I really enjoyed it all the same. So. And I really, really enjoyed, if none of you have at Christmas time, go to Alexa and ask Alexa to read for you Tim Curry's A Christmas Carol, because Tim Curry recorded A Christmas Carol, and she, she will read it to you, and it's fabulous. She will read the recording of... Uh, Tim oh. Curry telling she, you the she Christmas... She will play you. She will play it. Sorry. I'll play it, thank you, because if she's yes. reading it, then she's reading yes. it in his... Oh, yeah, that, that would be, be awesome. weird. <laughs> so you get to sit there comfortably with your cocoa near Christmas time as Tim Curry tells you a Christmas story. Oh, man. Okay. And Christmas right. is... We're halfway there. We are. We're halfway there. Well, wow. can you entertain us with something of summer? Okay, so first of all, I'm not John. I can't be <laughs> rambling shit out like, stuff, stuff. No. Off, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> and um, but I'm gonna take my whatever imposter syndrome and I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna throw it over there because I don't need that. Sorry, right. I don't need that anymore. Anyway, okay. anyway, just remember so, to take it with you when you go. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm gonna leave it here. <laughs> and and before I forget, um, the standard. Thank you for having me today. Right. This is wonderful. Thank you for being the, had. Well, there we go. <laughs> you're, you're, you're our very first guest. It's really exciting. Yeah, we are. Really? We didn't you know if anyone really would come. Excited. Well, that now, now the pressure's on. Yes. Actually, <laughs> no, it's not, because everyone has to follow oh, that's one way or yeah. the other. So for the person who comes next and all after there. You are setting a bar. I am setting a bar. I'm setting a bar pretty high, and they can kiss my butt. Do you need something from the bar while you read? I can fetch you. Um... That would be tempting, but no, I need, I need to focus because I, I hate to admit it, but I'm a wondering person. And, you know, by, by two, I've got to go sit down someplace. I, yeah, yeah. So what are you going to read, right? Oh, I, <laughs> I have a novel that I've worked on for a while before it was explained to me that um, I don't really have a novel. I have a series. So I took my four points of view uh, across this novel and broken out into a whole series about five books. A lot of it is my own experiences as a young person and my hopes and dreams and fears. And so I don't expect it to be, it's kind of sitting someplace between street lit and you know the literary, literary realm, but um, I'm happy. I'm very happy with it. So I've been working on it for a while and it should be, the series itself should be done soon because I find myself cranking uh, quite a bit lately. And I'm very, very happy with that. So um, as far as the reading's concerned, I have, um, hmm, how do I, exactly do I describe this? My character moves back and forth through his life um, and kind of setting up some of his failures. We know that, you know, we have childhood trauma. And so, you know what? I'm not going to explain it. I'm going to let you. it for itself. I was yeah. just going to say. Oh, I, I'm not going to explain it. You, you see me almost explain it? Yeah. <laughs> show, show don't tell. That's what I was telling you. It's, it's, it's another of those writerly problems that we have when we're reading. Is yes. that you always want to make sure that the the audience comes in with all the context 
And you don't need to. No, you don't need to. And the other problem that's interesting with it is um, I worked on the uh, <laughs> on the reading. Unlike some people, I have to actually have to practice mine, um, which is okay to each his own. But I didn't work on the introduction. It never occurred to me that I have to actually introduce a thing. Well, you don't. Well, you know, that's that's okay because yep. first guess, I'm sure, you know, you'll you'll move forward and get better at it and and. and Dave could secretly edit it. I yes. swear to God, I don't know what's going to come out here. So, yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully Dave will do me right when he's editing it. Yeah, hopefully. And if not, that's okay too. Right. And I was ready and, and, and the file was up and now the file is closed. Hmm. Yeah. And we're that's waiting. probably to not going to make the cut. That's okay. It's, this is no, why I read from paper. Awesome. I was going to print it out. <laughs> <laughs> Let there be a lesson to you young people. You know, bring bring a sheet of paper and be ready to go. You know, you and your stupid electronics. That's what the problem is. Well, while yeah. you pull while you pull it up, it's like, I could say, I actually come from the music background, and it's one of those things that they teach you from middle school on. It's like if you're going to have a breath mark in a phrase, if there's a long phrase, you put a little comma above it, and that means I'm going to breathe there. And it's not the worst thing in the world to stop and think about. And I thought about it when I took a class in. What was in high school called forensics wasn't actually anything to do with examination, but it was speech giving. And so okay. I had to say, I'm going to be speaking extemporaneously, or I'm going to read an epic poem or a saga or something. And I discovered that marking it helped. So the same way that I might say, this is where I'm going to breathe. The commas are great lies sometimes because authors abuse commas like crazy, especially me. So say us all. So say us all. Yeah. So, um, hey, look at that. So the um, title of the first book is um, it's either Two Dead Flies or You Ain't Worth Nothing But Two Dead Flies. I haven't decided yet. I like the second one. Yeah. 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 But I'm thinking I'm thinking the whole series will be called Two Dead Dead Flies. Flies. Sounds like a murder. It does sound like a murder, doesn't it? Yeah. But it's nice and short and easy to easy to remember. But again, I'm very, very happy with almost every word of the damn thing. And that's not easy for me to say. It's not easy for me to say at all. Without further ado, lay it on us. Yes, get on into it. I remember watching pro wrestling one Saturday morning with Aunt Sugar. I loved wrestling. Kwame, Nathaniel, and I would tussle all the time. It was one of the high points of the week. Nathaniel would bring a pair of his father's socks. We'd ball one sock and put it in the other sock. In the end, you didn't have a sock in a sock. You had a power sock. And bam, whoever was closest would get smacked over the head. Uh, we made up names for ourselves and used ski masks to hide our identities. We all had good guy names and bad guy names. Uh, Kwame was a, a Killer K and Mr. Bust You Up. And, and Nathaniel was, was Black Panther and, and, and the Big Cat Nat and Hacksaw Cannon and El Camino. We told that fool that he couldn't have more than two names, but he wasn't buying it. He had dozens of names, like Killer Juice and Kool-Aid Kennedy. He had so many names that even he couldn't remember them all. I was Sugarcane Scott and Super D-Dog. We'd wrestle all the time, but we learned to be careful. I mean, I headbutted Nate Nathaniel once, and he started crying. And I saw Sparks, and I thought I was going to pass out. After that, we came up with uh, rules. No headbutting, no punching, no biting, and no kicking between the legs. Farting was okay, though. 
Now, I really like the name Super D Dog because it reminded me of my favorite wrestler, the Junkyard Dog. Whenever he entered the ring, walking through his fans like a king on Sunday, they played his song. Another one bites the dust. The Junkyard Dog was a big, dark-skinned brother with huge arm muscles. And even though he had a big gut, he could do sit-ups for like an hour straight and not get tired. He wore red or white wrestling pants with, with, with Junkyard Dog stitched down the side and on the butt of his pants read thump. And, and when, when JYD ready to finish you, he'd pick you up and slam you to the ground. Now that was a thump. And when the Junkyard Dog thumped you, you know you was thumped. His other move was like a headbutt. I remember the announcer, some old white man who wrestled way back before Aunt Sandra was born, say that Junkyard Dog had the hardest head in professional wrestling. You imagine that. There might be 10,000 wrestlers from Kentucky to Texas, and Junkyard Dog had the hardest head. I mean, this one time, about four ugly wrestlers tried to gang up on Junkyard Dog, because that's what cowards do. I remember one of them was like a Hacksaw Jim Dugan, and the other one was like Butch Reed or Ted Tobias or somebody. But it didn't matter, because my man stood his ground straight and tall. He didn't worry about getting a whooping from his mom, because he got into a fight with a bully. I bet his pastor didn't call him out during a sermon telling everybody he went to bed. Junkyard dog didn't take no nothing from nobody. Shoot, one guy stepped up like he was kind of homeless, wild man with dirty hair and greasy skin like white people get. Junkyard dog grabbed him by the ears and cracked him with a headbutt. Another guy stepped up and then another. And there were plenty of headbutts for everybody. Like, bam, you take that, you stupid fool. And bam. Take that for even being in the ring with me. And bam, you take that for the company you keep. <laughs> they was like leaves falling off the tree. And that's what they get for ganging up on one man. But he wasn't no ordinary man. Oh, boy. He was Junkyard Dog. Look out, Junkyard. They, they, they got him. It was like two of them. They pinned his arms. And, and he was waiting. I was waiting on him to break free. And they stopped playing, Junkyard, bro. Break free, break free. Damn you, you cowards. You can't get away with that. You lucky Andre the Giant was off in a big city like Memphis. You lucky Junkyard by himself. I hope we get back next week. You show y'all. Now, see, that was me having a little faith. When you, when the third coward came up, Junkyard Dog kicked that dummy in the belly. And then he broke free. See, they forgot how strong JYD was. He was stronger and better than any three of them. Well, any four of them. Shoot, Junkyard Dog was better than any five of them cowards. He headbutted one, and then and, and it got went down. Then he threw another against the ropes, and when he sprang back, JYD clotheslined him with a forearm right across his cowardly throat. He was winning. He was handing the next guy an allotment of headbutt. It was like a, a buffet, except instead of, like, fried pork chops, JYD was, was serving headbutts, and he was giving headbutts like they were going out of style. They were on the dollar rack. Oh, man. The last guy was smart. He protected his head with his hands, so Junkyard Dog punched him in the stomach and then headbutted him. And the man went down and rolled away to join the others inside the ring because they didn't want no more of the dog. Woo! Man! And Aunt Sugar and I were screaming and cheering and laughing. Go, Junkyard Dog, go! Oh, she was in her big green house coat. And I had my Spider-Man pajamas on. And they weren't really Spider-Man pajamas because Aunt Rachel wouldn't buy them. So I had to make my own. Uh, out of some uh, long johns and uh, some gym shorts. And I said to her, I said to Aunt, Aunt Sandra, wouldn't it be cool if my daddy was a junkyard dog? Oh, man, that would be great. 
That fool, Unsugar said, he couldn't hold a job long enough to be junkyard anything. Oh, man, I said. Now I was disappointed, but still, it was one of the few times anybody would talk about my daddy. What was he like? She looked at me with two emotions, one after the other. I had no idea what the first one was. <laughs> I could sense it rise and pass very quickly. The second one I knew very well, spite. I got to pee, she announced and farted loudly. Oh no, if she pissed herself, Aunt Rachel would be mad at me. She blamed me. I jumped up and went to work. I had to hurry, so I started pushing and pulling to get her off the couch. She on sugar was too heavy to go to the bathroom by herself, so I had to help her. And we barely made it a few steps before I smelled urine and, and, and felt that warm liquid all through my socks. So instead of playing with my friends, I was going to spend the day trying to get the piss smell of the carpet as Aunt Sandra laughed at me. We both knew how mad our Rachel would be when she got home. Well, all I knew about my father was he wasn't a wrestler, he couldn't hold a job, and asking about him wasn't a good idea. Um... Aunt Rachel would get terribly upset when I mentioned my mother and father. That confused me. She was a child of the Lord through and through. She could forgive anybody. She could forgive and she made sure I could forgive too. Well, I wasn't good at it, but I tried. The road to hell is full of people that can't forgive, Aunt Rachel tell me, as often as we watch reruns of Sanford Son and Jefferson's. Why are you going to hold on to some mess somebody did way back before when you could be in heaven with Jesus? Forgiveness was our manna. It was, it was like our beans and cornbread, something you ate every day, especially when you had no money. But when it came to my mother, Aunt Rachel wouldn't even say her name. She wouldn't even talk about my grandmother either. Forgiveness was there for everybody. But there, it was odd in many ways. I could never figure out why Aunt Rachel hated my mother so much. On the other hand, Aunt Sandra was always Aunt Sandra. She would ramble on about how my mother was stupid and my father was no good. They was messing around with bad people and got what they deserve. When you lie down with dogs and fleas, you get shit on you, she'd say. Well, she was never good at remembering common phrases. At first, I thought that any information was better than no information. But I was wrong. Aunt Sandra was always happy to tell me about my mother, how she broke my grandfather's heart, and what her leaving did to the family. But the story always changed. See, my mother died in Chicago. That was true. I hardly remember that place. But according to Aunt Rachel, she lived in the worst part of town, and my father's family liked to beat up on my mama. I'm pretty sure that wasn't true, I don't, but I don't remember ever meeting my father's family. Sometimes Aunt Rachel told me that my mother traveled all the way to Chicago and my father, being the bastard he was, abandoned my mother and me at the bus station and other times the train station. According to her, my mother and I lived in a sewer. Rats would nibble at us when it rained and I almost lost my legs because a rat bit me on the butt. That was great. <laughs> that was great. Oh my God. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, see, and this is how, you, if you have a link to this anywhere, or you've published it yet, um, we want to know where, and we will put it. <laughs> we're going to pimp you out. <laughs> oh, man, yeah.
And I'm just grateful that it's because I just want everybody to know out there that his mother is lovely. This is true. <laughs> yeah. Um, a wonderful, wonderful woman. They actually have a cookbook together. Two, I, isn't I it? just want oh, yes. two, <laughs> two, two, two cookbooks, cookbooks together. Cookbooks? Excellent. Yes, I have to plug. If my mother found out I did a podcast and did not plug the cookbook, books. we Quite. yeah, there be and and you give me links like a good son, and I will put them up there because yes. that's my job. I, I will definitely but, definitely do that. And the beautiful thing about them is they're they're cookbooks in the fun style where you actually kind of get to read a little bit of story going into it too. Now, now I got to admit, I I saw something recently. It says, "Look, I just you know tell me how much flour to put in it." <laughs> And I've decided there's just different kinds of cookbooks. There's, you know, tell me the story of all the spices Mm -hmm. and then we'll put it together. Yeah, ours is more um, kind of the lines of both. So they're easy to follow instructions on food that I grew up on. um, And I'm kind of mad about it because I love my mother. I do. As you should. Yes, yes, I do. But the fried chicken recipe we have in the cookbook is not the one I grew up on. Oh. Yes, so it's better. Okay. But here's the deal. When I was growing up, she's whipping the stuff together. Uh-huh. She's feeding us. I'm eating. It's great. Uh-huh. Not a pro- she taught me. And I'm able to go off to college, cook, and impress some young ladies every once in a while with my fried chicken. It's a South. What are you going to do? But then we do the cookbook. And I said, Mom, we're going through the recipes. You want me to write up the, 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 the fried chicken recipe? Like, no. What are you going to do that for? Because you taught me everything I know. Of course, she taught me everything I know. Not everything she knew. Mm-hmm. So now we have this brine, and it's, you soak it overnight, mm-hmm. and you salt and pepper, and, and onion powder. Who put onion powder? Okay. Okay. So, of course, I eat a fried chicken. I'm like, wow, it's better than I remember. But, you know, I'm getting kind of funny. I can't remember anything anyway. But, oh, it's so it's good. So you got to help us out and let us know where this recipe is so we can eat your mother's fried chicken. So you go to Amazon.com. You type in Mama's Home Cooking with an O and an A. Wilma Jean Miller, and boom, both cookbooks will pop up. The first one, um, uh, Mama's Home Cooking, full of sage advice and recipes, is written in a kind of style of easy to follow recipes, but all of the stories are kind of separate. So if you just need to figure out how to do some deviled eggs, right there. But if you want to, you know, read some good stories, then they're in another section of the book. So we were good about the organization. That's uh, actually one of the reasons I wanted you, not just because I love you reading, but because Ray has done so much in terms of some publishing uh, for the short stories I've out there, Ray's the one who designed my covers and showed me how to use Scrivener. So whenever I swear at Scrivener, his ghost turns over in the grave because really he's a Scrivener whisperer. Yeah, and it's gotta, beautiful. we got to ask him about that. And um, thing, about things that we don't talk about on this podcast, but there's there's a lot of interesting material that you can write that pays money on Amazon. And I... Or Medium, as Chaz just got involved in Medium. Tell us a, a moment about Medium, if you will. Um, so Medium, I, I don't even know how to describe Medium. For those of you who don't know, it's it's a site you go to to find lots and lots of writing by lots and lots of different people on lots and lots of different th- themes and subjects. Um, and, I mean, so far I have published a story there about um, caring for someone on his deathbed and writing about it afterwards. And... A story about eating snails in public, um, and a story about um, my first book, which are three of them, um, and 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 yeah, you know, I mean, it's a it's a wide ranging thing, um, and I'm quite excited at the moment. I'm enjoying writing for Medium. It's it's like it's like a sort of um, piecemeal autobiography. 
and a little bit of blogging, and there's a lot of yeah. titles to look at there. You were talking about Shannon Page, who has story I was on talking about Shannon Page. Earlier. I often talk about Shannon Page, were, because were, she's awesome. <laughs> uh, that her story about uh, being a trophy wife. Yes. It's called oh, I Was a Trophy Wife. It's quite easy to find. Yeah. Is it on Medium? Yes. Okay. So just, I, I kind of want to say thank you. We're, we're getting towards the, the bottom of the half hour here, so I wanted to wrap it up a little bit and say... Thank you, John, uh, for showing us a little bit of the poet extemporaire. Um, if you have a longer piece or one of the ones that you've written that you'd like to read, we will get together and more do more of that next time. Uh, Raymond, thank you ever so much for coming. We hope that you guys will all hear Raymond's melodious tones again uh, because we adore him and simply live for when he can show up. Thank you for having me. I do appreciate it. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, which is a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. We will try to put links to the interesting things we've mentioned here on the website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook. You will eventually find us on iTunes, but I'm having a feud right now with trying to get them to work. But Podcast Addict will get you there. Our main web support is Magic, brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on Spotify. Today's sponsor was Balls Out Podcasting, except for me. 